The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's quite a passage there in Hebrews, a passage that talks about the gift of the local church. One of the things that I've been a pastor now for 20 years, and the longer I do this, the more I can't get over how profound the gift of the body of Christ is and how easy it is to take it for granted. It's just easy to see church as something that Christian people do, like you just go to church. But when we think about the church as we don't go to church, we are the church, then the local body of Christ is the things that the Lord does in the lives of his people in the context of the local church are some of the most formative and shaping and helpful things that the Lord gives a Christian in the course of their life as a follower of his. And I'm, I'm off script right now because, I, because I, my, my, I, I think about this all the time. I think about what do we want to be as a church? Who do we want to be as a church? And we're not flashy here. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested in um, trying to dazzle anyone with programs or with branding, um, although it is a beautiful stained glass window. Uh, I'm not a pastor that thinks that much about numbers, whether they're giving numbers or attendance numbers. I know that they measure things and that's information that's useful and helpful. But when I, even as I look out in a room like this, one of the benefits that I get as a pastor is I have this, this opportunity to kind of slowly accumulate knowledge of the stories of the people who come here, uh, what's going on in their lives. And then I get to know how their lives are intertwined with the lives of others seated around them and the things that we go through, the joys, the suffering, the 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 triumphs and the defeats that are part of the life of anybody who walks the face of this earth. And the fact that the Lord gives us the local body of Christ is of 
profound value in our lives. And so we read a passage like this, and the author of Hebrews is unpacking this just a little bit here, just a little bit. And we're seeing that he says we have this confidence, confidence, that we can draw near to God. And that in and of itself is profound. That you or I would be able to say, I can draw near to the maker and sustainer of the cosmos with confidence. Confidence that he will receive me and not turn me away, not judge me for my my sin and smite me, but that he would receive me. Why? He says, because of his son. We have confidence to draw near to Christ because of his, or to draw near to God because of Christ, because of what Christ has done, and that he's been this high priest for us who has made a way. He's opened a way for us. His body is the curtain that was torn, and we pass through his life and his death and his resurrection to the throne of grace. And then he tells Christians, know this, and then respond to this. Respond with your life. Respond. And in this passage, there's just a few, a few ways in, that we read here. The first is he says, draw near to him. So if you've been given access to the throne of grace, draw near to him with hearts of faith. Your conscience is clear. And it's clear because you're robed in the righteousness of another. You're robed in the righteousness of Christ. And so it's not this fickle ecosystem where, where the Lord is, sometimes you have confidence and sometimes you don't. You have the righteousness of Christ. So respond to that by drawing near to him with a heart of faith, which is what we're going to talk about in just a moment. But the second thing that he calls us to do is he calls us to hold fast to our confession of faith because the one who promised is true. That, that this faith would be an ongoing daily rhythm, part of our lives. It would be something that we would say, this, I define my existence by this. It's not just like one of the things you should know about me in addition to, you know, this is my football team and this is how many kids I have or whatever. It's No, you hold fast to this relationship, to this confession of faith, because the one who has promised is faithful, he will keep you. This is who you are now. But then third, he, he says, and then do this in the context of community. Encourage and spur one another on toward ongoing spiritual maturity. And then he says, because you're in a window of time that's finite. You're in this moment now where you have the gift of the local church. But this won't always be the case. There won't always be the local church. It will be replaced, right, by the coming kingdom of God himself. And so for now, we live in this place between the two advents of Jesus, between the two comings of Christ and what the Lord has told his people is live, do this, do this part of it. Do this part of your life, your existence, in the context of a local church family where you're encouraging one another and you're clinging to truths together and not alone. And so as a church, we think about this a lot, and we've talked about this over the years, and you see it. It's, it's on the posters in the lobby and in the hallway over there, this, this idea that we're trying to figure out and, and ask the question, what does it look like, what does it look like for any of us who would call this church home to live in a way where we are growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Because 
as a local church, we're not here just killing time. We're here for a purpose. And the purpose is to be a community of faith that is bound together for the purpose of giving glory to Christ and living as his witnesses in the world. To be an outpost of truth and light in Williamson County and beyond. To be Christ Presbyterian Church, Cool Springs. That that's who we're going to be. And as we've prayed through and talked through as, as a church, what would that look like to distill our mission down? We've really kind of distilled it down into three areas of focus that really define the life of a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. Worship, that we're worshipers. Connect, that we're people who are relationally connected to one another and seeking deeper connection to one another. And serve, that we're people who give our lives away for the sake of the gospel. We serve one another in the context of the church, and then we serve our city and our world. Uh, in the ways that we work and, and play and worship and come alongside and encourage and show hospitality, all of these things. And so we, we, we took those three words, worship, connect, and serve, and, uh, you know, we did what people do with stuff like that, and that is that we, we came up with six fundamental practices. And they're on the posters out there. You see them everywhere. Um, two that focus on worship, two that focus on connection, two that focus on service. And these are really at the heart of things. Like when we think about as a church, what is it that we want to do this fall? We're running it through the grid of how does it fit into worship, connect, and serve these, these six practices. And the six practices are these. I'll read them to you. And then we're going to actually just focus on the first one today, or at least I am. And then Melanie Rayner in just a moment is going to come and share some more opportunities for connecting and serving. But the six practices are these. Under worship, be fully present with the church every Sunday. Second, be fully present with Jesus every day. That we'd be disciples who are a regular part of the body of Christ and people who are personally practicing prayer, scripture, devotion, growth, personal growth in Jesus. Connect. Take every opportunity to gather with your group. Find a group, be a part of it, be known. Be a, be a part of a church where your life is... is something people have access to and they get to know you. Uh, and then the other connect, uh, the other point under connect is befriend and bring in people who don't yet have a church. Uh, and so be, be an avenue for connection for others who are looking for a church home. And then serve. Strengthen the church by serving and giving. So the first component of serve is serve here. And then the second is enhance flourishing by serving your work, your world, and people in need. Serve outside of here in the city that we're a part of, in the world that we're a part of, in the neighborhood you're a part of. So those are kind of the six practices that we look at and we say, if we were people who were engaged in these six things, that would be an indication of somebody who is a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you, some of you I know for sure, are thinking, what my legalism antenna just went up, because you just gave me six things to go do. And some of us, our legalism antenna goes up because we love it. Just tell me what to do. Give me six things to do and I'll do them. It'll be great. And others of us are like, I don't want to be any part of that. Let me just, let me just say something about that. One, it is a good, good instinct for us to have this legalism, you know, spidey sense that, that, that goes off when you feel like somebody's just laying rules on top of you. But... It's also important for us, because what we don't want to do is just distill the Christian life down to a list of empty practices and rituals. But the question we have to ask is, 
are these empty practices and rituals? Or are they life-giving and necessary for a follower of Jesus Christ? Because the truth is, asking Christians to nurture habits related to following the Lord and being engaged with his people isn't automatically legalism, especially if they're rooted in scripture and they're designed for our thriving. And so the critical thinking exercise for us is to say, are these six things empty or are they vital? Are they necessary for us? Because as a pastor, I don't ever want to call us into anything other than what is for our spiritual and relational good. That doesn't doesn't interest me at all. But we are called as Christians to spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines and spiritual community. And as Jesus said, there is no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life or a woman would lay down her life for their friends that there's this self-emptying kind of love that Jesus says that's the best kind of love there is. And these are practices that deepen and grow our faith, and so we should embrace them. I want to talk about the first one, which is be fully present with the church every Sunday. This passage in Hebrews is written to an early church that has already begun to form a habit of not meeting together. In fact, they've, some have, it's the habit. The habit is to not meet together regularly. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Why? Well, if you've been a part of the church for any significant part of your life, you start to understand why. And he even talks about it in verse 23. You see the stakes of why it's important. They're implied here, but he says this. He said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The book of Hebrews is written to persecuted believers who are weighing whether or not it's worth it to continue following Jesus. Because it's costly. And while we here in America may not be facing the same kind of persecution that was certainly in play for the readers of Hebrews, we are very much living in a time when we're faced with considering a myriad of daily choices. And we have to ask whether or not to live faithful, spiritually maturing lives because there's so much that's competing for our affections and our attention. And one of the signs that we're struggling here is that we begin to live very isolated existences. We get in the habit of withdrawing from community unless it's on our terms. And so we trade the habit of worshiping alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ with either worshiping alone And there are entire Christian industrial complex industries built around helping you worship alone and never have to be in the church. But you're alone. Or worshiping not at all. This faith that we have as followers of Jesus is going someplace. It's not just a set of beliefs that we hold on to here that help us know what to do from the time we get out of bed till the time we go to bed at night. It is headed someplace. And where it's headed is into this eternity 
of worship and delight in our maker as a bride adorned for him, as a people, as a united people in the presence of our Savior and our King. And so in this life that we're living right now as we're sitting here in this room, the local church, this church, exists in part to serve as a dress rehearsal for what we will know forever. And that is living in relationship with the Lord as a community, as a bride, as one. There is no such thing as individualistic Christianity. There is no such thing where one person or even one family can say to the rest of the church, I don't need you. The Lord made us to be people who live with limits and he supplies part of our need through the strengths and the abilities and the insights and the wisdom and the kindness and the generosity of others that we worship alongside in the context of the local body of Christ and we're made to need one another. Statistically, church-going people in America go to church an average of 1.8 times a month, so a little less than two times a month. At Christ Pres, I'm happy to report, we are slightly above two. So we're beating the national average. Way to go. At a church like ours, Christ Pres Cool Springs, where we're younger, we, we're, we're well, kind of like Hamilton, right? We're young, scrappy, and hungry. Um, that we're here on purpose, right? And so our average is even higher than that because we're a young church and people are here on purpose and this is not the kind of place people come to and call their church home because they just want to sit in the back and never be noticed. Um, you can't come here long without somebody getting in your business, right? And that's a great thing. But I want to challenge us as we go into this, this kind of year to cultivate the habit of corporate worship in such a way that we're not just trying to raise a number, but really what we're doing is we're trying to cultivate the habit of corporate worship in such a way that we're ordering the rest of our lives around worship rather than the other way around. So that we're ordering our lives around worship, that worshiping the Lord is primary, being a regular part of the body of Christ is of chief importance, and the other things happen in the context of that, rather than the other way around where we're worshiping the Lord with whatever is left of the schedules that we fill. What are the benefits of this? What are the benefits of being a part of the local body of Christ, of being fully present with the church every Sunday? I'll be pragmatic here. I have 10 benefits. If you're new here, you're thinking, I'm going to settle in. It's going to be 30 minutes before he's done. Oh, no, it won't. I'm good at this part. This will be quick. 10. 10 benefits of being a part of the local church. And then I want to unpack just the glory that is there in the passage that we just read. Benefit number one, it's where we worship. It's where we worship corporately. We were made for this. We're worshipers by nature. Being a regular part of the church cultivates a deepened sense of connection to our maker and our God. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two, this is a place for confession and for gratitude. It's a place we get in our cars and go to. Or if you can walk, you walk here for the purpose of confessing before the Lord and expressing our gratitude 
corporately. We intentionally focus our need for forgiveness and the mercy we've been shown. We focus on those things gathered before the one to whom we direct our thanks. The third benefit of being in the local church is friendship. Friendship. What a gift. What an idea. What a thing that the Lord has given us. The local church provides social connection and the ongoing development of friendship. Fourth, it is a spiritual common ground for families. And so if you are coming as a family, the church is the central gathering place for each member of the family. And we work, we work to, to make it so that the experiences that families have of following the Lord in many ways run in parallel tracks, that we're talking about very similar things, what, no matter what generation you're a part of, so that it can be a place of spiritual common ground. The fifth benefit of being a part of the local church is this is a place to practice reverence. We're in a pretty irreverent time. We're in a pretty irreverent culture. And in the church, we intentionally cultivate the practice of reverence of heart before God. And that is an important thing. This, for example, earlier in the service, we, we took some time to corporately confess sin. This is the place where that happens. That doesn't happen other places. It happens in the church. And it's where we gather together and we say, all right, I wish we had kneelers here so that we could kneel for that kind of thing, but to practice reverence. The sixth benefit of being a part of the church is service opportunities. The church provides opportunities to serve and give back. We're going to hear about that today and serve alongside others. Seventh, spiritual growth. This is a place where we are able to grow spiritually by learning about Scripture, studying Scripture together, coming to the Lord's table, learning alongside one another in community. So we grow spiritually here as a part of the body of Christ because we have one another to grow with. Number eight, the eighth benefit of being a part of the church. There's so many more, but I'm limiting it to ten. Eight, we don't suffer alone. When you're part of the body of Christ, you don't suffer alone. As a pastor, one of the things that I get access to is your suffering. I hear your stories, transitions in work, medical crises, things like this. It is miserable to suffer alone. And what the Lord gives us in the body of Christ is others, people who will help carry the burden of our sorrows. Struggle and suffering come for us all. It's a gift when they happen in the context of a community that is committed to lending support and saying, we're here and we're with you and we're part of you. Number nine, benefit of being a part of the church is this is a place where you can ask for and offer forgiveness. What a practice. What a practice to ask for forgiveness, to go to a place where you ask for forgiveness. And where, because churches are messy, where we often get the opportunity with one another to ask for forgiveness and to offer it. In the church, we have a place to practice this kind of humility, to keep short accounts with each other because we know we're going to see each other. And when we see each other, we know the reason we're seeing each other is because we're worshiping the Lord together and we're coming to a communion table together and we can't nurse grudges. And then finally... I love this one. The benefit of being a part of the church, number 10, is that it is a place to sing. 
I mean, you don't have many other places in your life where you sing with other people. Most of you probably have zero other places in your life where you sing with other people. And for those of you who do have other places where you sing with other people, you probably don't want to talk about it. But in the context of the local church, we gather to sing from the heart with others. We get to know songs together. And there is no other regular place like this. I I could list so many other reasons why it's good to be a part of the local church. But let's not just focus on how the church benefits me, but let's consider that when we're part of a church, the Lord uses our presence. He uses your individual presence to deepen our community. The Lord uses our presence not only to shape one life by another, but he uses the friendships and the communities that form here, the small groups that form here to shape the entire community. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, The Four Loves, when he was talking about friendship. One of the four loves he talks about is friendship, and he says this. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. When a local church is a place where we honor the habit of meeting regularly, we all get more of one another that one of us brings something out of the other and a third benefits from that. It's part of God's design for his people and it's a gift. And these are all helpful reasons for why it's good to be a regular committed part of the local church. But there's a deeper reason even still, and I'll land with this, for why we should keep the feast, why we should be a regular part of this. And it's that we have been invited to it. We've been invited to it by our maker. A way has been made. Because when because of our sin, God owed us nothing in terms of eternal relationship with him, unthinkable access to him has been given to us because of Christ. And this text from Hebrews says we have confidence to draw near, to enter into the holy place by the blood that Jesus shed for us. Through his flesh, he has opened a way for us to have lasting, unbroken fellowship with our Creator. And the church is the only place in your life that says, when you come here, you do not need to put your best foot forward. You don't need to impress anybody to belong here. What we bring instead is our need. And what we trust in is the work of Jesus. And so for this reason, we hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let's stir one another up to do the same. That's why I need you here. That's why you need others here to hold each other up and to stir one another's confidence and to remind each other that the gospel is true. And so bring in the lonely and the outcast and the broken. Make them know. Make them know they're welcome. Make them know they're wanted here. Hebrews tells us that our basis for welcome is this, our confidence in Christ. Let's seek to do that. Let's seek to be fully present with the church And hold fast to the confession of our shared hope always, always inviting others in to this place that Christ has set for them too at his table.